Everybody wants to know what I would do if I didn't win. I guess we'll never know. Imagine making a difference. No, imagine being the difference. The difference between I can't and I can or I won't and I will. The reason someone chooses to wake up and strive for greatness. In life, it can feel like everything is working against you. Let's defy all odds and break generational curses. This is Overstepping Poverty with Daquan and Zacchaeus. Welcome back to Overstepping Poverty, the podcast that provides you with tips, tricks, and hacks in overstepping poverty. My name is Daquan Brooks, and I'm here with my co-host, Zakia Shaw. How you doing, Zacchaeus? I'm doing good, my man. You know, blessed to get to experience another holiday with the family. Mm-hmm. This year, got to have my son's first Christmas. He's Let's almost go. two months now, so... Milestones, man. Milestones. Yeah, I it's, love it. it's crazy, you know, having a family of four now, it... Definitely is a lot of work, but I will say, you know, the transition of going from zero to one, I think is a little more than going from one to two. Yeah. Just because of that paradigm shift, yeah. you know, where you're like that first one, you're, you're getting ready for it. I am. You know, it's I coming. Am. So that yep. first one, it's hard to really prepare for something that you don't really know. So it's, yeah, that I second completely, one's a little easier. I can agree with that because as I'm going through this now, I'm like, man, April, that's four months away. I'm like, how do I prepare for a child? How do I prepare for another human that I have to take care of? And I, and I think of it and it's, it's probably bad for me to compare it to like this, but it's like my dogs, you know, when I got my dogs in the house, I'm like, okay, you know what? It's no longer just about me. I have to make sure that these dogs are fed. I have to make sure that, you know, they're potty trained. They're not peeing and pooping everywhere. Right. And, uh, and that they're taken care of, but Essentially, I mean, the world sees humans obviously completely different. I don't. I feel like dogs are humans to me. I mean, they're family to <laughs> right. me, you know? Um, but so, like, I'm like, okay, well, April's going to come around and I've got a human. How do I prepare? And everyone keeps telling me, they're like, there is no way to prepare. I mean, it's just taking, like, taking it one day at a time. And I'm I'm for scared real. for it. I am I am scared for it. But I'm also super excited. So, yeah, don't be scared, man. It's a beautiful thing to experience, you know, and a lot of I think, you know, and we'll get into some a little bit of this topic later, but I think one of the biggest blessings that people miss out is actually being able to be there for their kids. Mm. You know, and we know a lot of people that didn't grow up with their father or their mother. And I think, like, that sucks. You mm-hmm. know, sucks for the kid for sure. But as a parent, I don't know, those feelings that I get, you know, when I will go home and stuff like that is amazing. So yep. I'm excited for you, man. But... I'm also excited to get into our episode today. Uh, We have a very special guest, somebody that it's been really cool to see their journey from, you know, from for at least for me, someone when we were in high school on the gridiron, you know, balling and then to see this guy grow from there, um, reach his dreams and kind of follow him along since then. It's a blessing, you know, so I'm going to introduce, you know, a great person, personal coach. For a lot of people, so if you guys are out there, you're needing some help, this is definitely a great guy to listen to and tap in with. Uh, we have the great Kian Loggy on the podcast today. Welcome, welcome. Thank Let's you, go. fellas. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. We're going to jump in and have some really good conversation. Absolutely. So I uh, I can't wait. Yeah, Congrats. man. Well, I'm excited to have you. Like I said, it's been cool watching your journey. 
Um, we got to kind of reconnect about a year ago through Zoom, and that was awesome. I think we talked for almost two hours on on Zoom, and that was a little bit about the coaching um, that you that you do. And I remember talking to my wife after we got off our call on Zoom, and I was like, "Damn, like I really want to do this. I really want to do this." But I know that there is a financial responsibility that comes along with this, and I don't expect this guy to give it away for free. Mm-hmm. And at that time is actually when Daquan was like, hey, um, I hope you want to do a podcast, basically, because I already bought all the equipment and we're going all <laughs> in on this. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of all at the same time. So to have you here today and get to kind of pick your brain on a few things, listen to your journey and share that value with our our listeners. I'm super excited for that. So again, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to jump right into this here because um, this has been a long time waiting. Like Zakia said, we've known you for a while. We played high school football with you. We went to the same college, uh, watched you uh, excel as an athlete at University of South Dakota um, and more. And I don't want to tell the whole journey here because I want you to tell it. So uh, why don't you get into that to it for us? You know, where, where did the journey begin? Where did you grow up? You know, how was that? How was the living? How was the life? Yeah, so I was born and raised here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. A kid with a dream to make it to the NFL since I was 10. It was something that I had set out for myself. I had a grandfather who was able to make it all the way there, but ended up not playing due to him wanting to be a doctor and start a family instead. Mm. They didn't make very good money back then, and the equipment wasn't very good either, so I think it paid off more for him to take that route. But nevertheless, he uh, got there, which inspired something in me to want to get all the way there too. And so since high school, I mean, I was waking up at 5.30 a.m. as a 13-year-old and continued that path of doing that all the way to college and Mm. worked my ass off to start as a true freshman in college, which I did not anticipate. I expected to hopefully be able to start maybe my junior Mm. year, but I just came in and didn't really care who was in front of me and just did what I did and was able to get to a point where I was able to make it as a starter after the sixth game of the season, my first year as a true freshman. And that's when it really became real to me when a, a player on the team who had a chance to play in the NFL came to me and said, yo, bro, you're going to go to the NFL. And I was like, holy shit. Damn. That's crazy. And it, and it really just set in. I called my mom like, oh, my gosh, like, I've been saying this for so long, but <laughs> it feels like it's actually coming, like it's actually happening. That's insane. Right. And People then, were noticing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, someone that, that was that caliber noticed right, sure. for him to say that. Uh, but for a kid like me from South Dakota growing up, man, I had to – Going to college camps, I remember I had to write a proposal to my dad because we didn't have any money for to pay for camps. I said, if you pay for this camp, and I remember writing at least a one-page letter to him, I said, you won't have to pay for my college. And mm. uh, he ended up doing it. He pulled out uh, another line of credit and paid for it, wow. and I was able to do that. I was able to make that happen. I think I had to pay like $1,500 or $2,000 my first semester. Then after that, I got bumped up to a full ride, and the rest was history with that. So that's amazing. had a little bit of that fire under my belt, too, to really help my, my I should say, make my family proud of me in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but ended up getting all the way to uh, the NFL, and just as fast as I got there, I had it ripped away from me due to a neck injury that I sustained in college mm-hmm. that they found was much worse than I thought on an MRI. Mm-hmm. And after that, it's a whole different path, different story, but... Yeah. After football, it was really just me committing to the path that I wanted to do, separate from what I believed I, I should do or what anybody else thought that I should do. Mm. 
And there's a lot that goes into that, which I'm sure we can dive into at some point. But absolutely, yeah, sure. and there's I feel like there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so I want to I want to move back just a little bit here. And um, you had mentioned that your grandpa had made it to the NFL. There, I have to ask, as just a mentality, um, as someone knowing that someone in your family has made it to the NFL, do you feel like mentally you move and think differently because you have that personal connection to someone? Like, hey. If someone in my family can make it to the NFL, I definitely can too. Did you feel that in any way? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it ripped off the the barrier to it. I remember my youngest brother, when I was a freshman in high school, we were driving the car one day and he said, Keen, are you really going to go to the NFL? And I looked at him and he told me the story about two years ago, actually. I don't remember it. Mm. I just looked at him and just said, yeah. There wasn't, there wasn't a doubt. It was just very, yeah. it, there was, it wasn't very emotionally charged. It wasn't like, mm. yeah, I'm going to do it. It was just... Yeah, just kind of like very bad kind of or factual. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I probably can say I attribute that to to knowing my grandpa did. I'm sure that was one of many factors, but it was also probably the mentality that he had surrounding life. And I think there's a lot of benefits to perfectionism, but also some some downfalls at the same time. So yeah. I could pair a lot of the different characteristics that I feel like I have with that. But I think mm-hmm. from the beginning, knowing that he did that and having him as someone that. I could look up to in that way. Naturally, I think it was more easy for me to get on board with the idea that it was possible for me. Mm-hmm. Right. I want to talk about, I, I was reading one of your articles, actually on your website, go check out keenloggy.com. You talked about how you were, you know, had this dream since you were 10, reaching your goal, uh, making to the NFL. But at the same time, with all the accolades and all those things, you still didn't feel like it was right. Like you didn't feel fulfilled. Um, can you talk about that a little bit, actually being able to achieve that goal? And was it the fact of it being ripped away that left you feeling that way? Or was it kind of even through college where you're feeling success, you didn't still feel 100% aligned maybe? Yeah. So it, I remember about three hours before I ended up going and getting the MRI where I was told I'd never be able to play again. I was sitting watching practice and I was being taken around the facility by a few people. And then they all left and it was me alone in the cafeteria watching practice eating a little bit of food and that's when it all the excitement fizzled away from getting the opportunity to fully do it and it was just me by myself and the next voice that came up was the same voice that was always there which was all right time to get back to work and so that feeling of fulfillment that I thought I was going to feel over an extended period of time just mm. didn't exist it right. was the initial excitement then it was gone and and I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity to experience that at the age of 22 because now I have a perspective of that nothing that I accomplish ever is going to give me a certain level of lasting fulfillment. It just doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. But that also doesn't mean that I don't go after things that I want. Right. It just means that as a human, it is important for us to be able to shoot towards bigger and bigger things mm-hmm. because that's just what we do as humans. That's what's going to lead to probably the most fulfillment for the majority of people is going after something, but recognize mm-hmm. that when something is achieved, there's just always going to be another thing. And now that's not a sad thing or a bad thing. That's just the way to look at it. And then I believe that I just continue to do that until I can't do it anymore Mm -hmm. and I pass away. So it's not that I don't go after what I want at the highest level. It means that I do, but every time I do accomplish something, I just have to recognize that it'll never be about that thing that brings me the fulfillment. So, Mm -hmm. and the question is, is, well, where's the fulfillment come from? Mm -hmm. That's what I really decided to dedicate myself to understanding a lot for the last six years after having that feeling in the cafeteria that left me a little uneasy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have, do you feel like you've gotten closer to that feel, uh, feeling of fulfillment since yeah. that day? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I believe that the destination was going to give me something that mm. I already wasn't experiencing. 
So there's a couple times in college too. I remember even in college where I remember things are going well with girls, grades are going well. I was starting as a true freshman and I was like, Hmm, this doesn't feel like how I thought it would after the initial excitement was done. Right. And so that was my initial taste of understanding that anything that I accomplish isn't going to bring me the fulfillment that I really want. Right. But the NFL really helped me become clear on that. And so that's where my path now is more of understanding that it's not even about the process of the journey, but just about whatever is exciting or inspiring for me to do right now. Yeah. That's where my fulfillment's found in whatever is right now. And being able to adopt the mindset of just keep my head down while appreciating, enjoying what I'm doing. And when I accomplish something, it'll be something that feels good because it's a testament to the work that I put in and the time right. that I put in naturally. But it's more of not waiting to feel fulfilled until I get somewhere, but more mm. so experiencing the feeling now and allowing whatever happens to be a byproduct of the feeling I'm already experiencing. Right. Mm. Yeah. It's Which can be difficult aligning with the feeling before we have it. I think it's one of the hardest parts. I think that, well, that's supposed to be one of the laws of life. Once you're able to feel it before it's happened is really where the true power comes from, mm -hmm. you know, cause once you put it out there into the universe, that law of attraction is, is going to bring it close to you, but you have to feel those things first. And that takes a lot of work to be able to do. That's for sure. Definitely it does. It does. And I, I feel like that's the difference between so many different successful people. Now I put quote unquote successful because obviously when it comes to success, it's measured by, by you. It's opinionated, right? You know, if I feel like I'm successful, someone else could feel like, well, I've done more, so I'm more successful. But anyways, with people and them trying to be successful, a lot of them, they reach a barrier and they just sit and they stop, you know, they feel comfortable. Um, where that's at. But with you, obviously, um, wanting more, it's it's just like us. Um, I think there's not a lot of people out there that has that have that hunger or have that uh, mentality to keep going and keep going and keep going. Um, it just becomes a breaking point where they're just like, all right, I've, I've had enough. You know, I worked so hard to get here. So I should be able to lather myself and all this, all these goods and whatever I worked for. And I should be able to feel accomplished. And so they stay there and then mm -hmm. they level out. So just as far as you got successful, it just just as quickly as you can become unsuccessful as well. So, right. yeah. And I, I attribute a lot of that to what I just talked about. I attribute a lot of that to a certain level of burnout effect or mm -hmm. a massive imbalance that happens in the process of pursuing, moving toward success that needs a break after it needs something to stop because of the exhaustion associated with it. There's such a fast race that people are on to get somewhere mm -hmm. that causes them to be exhausted at the end, which causes there to be a crash. And so I've adopted a, men a mentality of there's, it's not even a race. Mm -hmm. Like I'm really just here appreciating where I'm at and what I'm doing. And as a byproduct, things just seem to happen naturally. So right. when you can shift your mindset from being one of, I need to go get this as fast as possible mm -hmm. to one of well, where I'm at right now, I'm really just enjoying and appreciating and what needs to be taken care of right now on a day-to-day -day basis, instead of obsessing over the future of where we need, think we need to be, mm -hmm. then naturally there won't be that, that burnout effect. And there'll be more of an, a positive association with the process of moving towards something. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what it's all about. It's being able to build a positive association of forward progress momentum. It's hard to develop a positive association when we're disciplining the shit out of ourselves. We're preventing ourselves from feeling any type of positive way when we're dedicating all of our time and energy and resources to the attainment of this thing. Naturally, we're going to get burnt out, of course. And of course, if you get burnt out, your brain's going to develop a negative association with the process. So for your own sake of being able to continue the process, you'll learn how to be able to follow the process in a way where you're not waiting Mm -hmm. to feel a certain type of way. So what you're saying is with that process, when you make that process, something that is causing this burnout, you're, you're mentally associating the process with pain and the things that you don't want. Correct. So that, that makes you afraid of actually doing what needs to be done to reach the goal that you're wanting to reach because of you're burning yourself out. That's it. Or when you get there, not wanting to go any further because you have nothing left and that's the brain's association. Now, now you have to try to rewire that association that the brain has with it. Now it's possible, definitely, but most people aren't even aware that this is happening. They're just aware that they don't want to keep going. Right. And And so they just don't. That makes so much sense. Cause especially when you see it in sales a lot where people will be super successful for X amount of years, maybe one or however long, but when that burnout does hit, it's it can be hard for them to get that going again, even though they know how to do it. They don't necessarily want to do the things because they don't know how to do it properly or without doing without burning out. So mm-hmm. it's definitely a, a mind thing. How did you get to the point of that? How did you begin to understand that aspect of things? Well, part of the ability to be able to adopt that mindset is recognizing that none of it really matters anyway. So. I don't know if it's it's psychedelics or if it's just the amount that I've consumed information that exists beyond just having success in society that's gotten me to the place of having this understanding. But I really feel that the things that I do and accomplish in the grand scheme of things don't matter. Right. And so if it doesn't matter, then what's the need to incessantly have to move toward what I want? And really what, how I see it is it's constantly having a bird's eye view of the game board, not being lost in the maze of life. Yeah. And it takes maybe a certain amount of things that I've gone through to be able to be in this perspective. Like I said, I don't know exactly how I'm able right. to have the mindset. Mm-hmm. I could contribute it to many different things, but really what it is, it's being able to have a bird's eye view and not be lost in the maze. Right. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of introspection for sure. Which I have done a lot of. Right. Mm-hmm. For sure. And that, that's why I'm in a career that allows me to get paid to keep doing more of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. People are paying me to go deeper within myself to understand these complex problems that we experience as humans. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's there's no better way to live life. That's what I love. Yeah. Yeah. So if I can get paid being able to continue to do that and help a lot of people in the process, man, then there's there's nothing I'd rather be doing. Right. I agree. I, I love that. And talking about that, you know, getting into coaching and what you do a little bit now, what is something that you see? most common amongst the people that come to you and, and are wanting um, the coaching, the guidance, the help. Is there a, a thing that you see mostly across the board or is it something that's so specific to each person? Well, there's a lot of specificities associated with each person, certainly, but there is also commonalities within those. I think a big commonality right now is the idea of self-sabotage in that People talk about it a lot being something that causes someone to not move toward what they want. Mm -hmm. And it's demonstrating behavior that is inflicting pain upon the self. 
Right. But I think in order for us to be able to move on from that, we have to recognize that most of self-sabotage is a normal human behavior. And I think there's a big stigma surrounding it right now where people are saying, oh, I have self-sabotage. And then we're making it seem like this big, terrible thing, but it's actually incredibly natural. It's not natural for humans to move beyond our survival. It's not natural for us to continue to advance and think 10, 15 years down the road for the majority of people. It's mm-hmm. not a common thing to do. We're created for survival. And that's the difficult part about the world we live in right now is that everything's catered toward a long-term vision of the future, but our brains are still way, way back in primitive ways of operating for the most part with the majority of people. So recognizing that the society that we've created and the sophistication that we've created surround society and all the technology, our our brains and our minds aren't created to to live in this world. We're not. So we have to try to hack it. We're literally not created for it. So it's natural that we're having all of these these disorders and and people sabotaging their their relationships in life because we're simply just not created for it. So the buck doesn't stop there though. Then the better question is, and the million dollar question is, well, if we're not created for it, this is the reality of life. So how do we adopt a mentality or an understanding that allows us to thrive in a world where we're inherently not created for. Mm-hmm. I have to ask because, and I'm going to jump a little bit back here. Now you didn't mention your family, you know, obviously you mentioned growing up, how many brothers and sisters do you have? Yeah. I'm the oldest of four. Oldest I have of two four. brothers okay. and one sister. Okay. So I have to ask now jumping back to you as a life coach, I'm assuming you see and you handle situations completely different than of course your family members. Have you ever encountered, of course, where you ultimately give your, give your perception of things to a family member that just sees something completely different than you do? And then do you, of course, offer that life coaching to them? No. No? No, man. No? It, it's the same thing with my friends. Yeah. It's so funny. I went on. I was in a mastermind with some guys. And we all contributed in the mastermind. And then we did an end of the year event where we all went snowboarding in Colorado. Mm. And one of the other coaches that were in this mastermind was in this mastermind. He asked me a question after. He's like, Kean, there you had an opportunity to pour into this guy that was asking you questions. And you basically just shrugged him off. You were like, not trying to answer his questions. You literally said, I don't feel like answering that right now and walked away. <laughs> yeah. He's like, that's not the perception I had of you with knowing that the work that you do, mm-hmm. because I thought you'd take the opportunity and jump right in to try to, to help him and, and figure this thing out. And I'm like, well, no, that's, it's, it's a very specific container that I allow that part of myself to be experienced outside of that. I'm Kian, the, the brother, I'm Kian, the son, I'm Kian, the friend, and so me in the container and, and what I represent, I say that's the genie, that's my, my alter ego yeah, in the right. container is different from me outside of that. I'm actually very chill, relaxed. Uh, I'll stand up for myself and I'll say outlandish shit if I need to or want to, mm-hmm. but I'm not always the first person to try to fix anybody or correct anyone mm-hmm. unless it's asked for. Absolutely. So there's friends. I mean, most, the majority of my, my best friends have all worked with me at one point or another, Mm -hmm. but I've done a great job of being able to be specific about, okay, this is the container that we're doing coaching in. And this is our friendship container. And they're two very separate, different things. So my capacity to separate my identities and compartmentalize them, I think is very good. And I think that's what makes me such a good friend and a great coach and that I'm able to not have those lines be blurred, which I think a lot of coaches have a difficult time doing because they're caught in the identity of what it is to be a coach, but I've never been caught in the identity of anything that I've done. It was the same thing with football. I think that was why I was able to transition so fluidly from getting the news I never play again to doing what I decided to do next, which was three or four days later. Yeah. 
in that I've never allowed whatever I've done to fully define me as a person. Absolutely. And so that's what makes me so good, I think, because right. I'm able to be detached to some extent, uh, but also has allowed me to continue to prosper in these other areas of life where my coaching doesn't bleed into it. I love that. That's powerful too. And I like what you said when it came to sports, because a lot of times in uh, a lot of communities where they do experience, you know, physical poverty, it's looked at as sports are almost sometimes the only way out. Right. So mm -hmm. that once that person or that player doesn't get that college opportunity, then what? You know, a lot of times they don't have a second plan. So when you talk about identity, I think that's so big because people get so caught up in what they do and they think that that's who they are. Mm -hmm. And I think that does make it tough when you don't have those strict boundaries between work and home life or friends and stuff like that, because it really can ruin relationships when you're having these unfair expectations for somebody that's your friend, you know, and you're looking at them as a consumer or something like that. It can, it can be tough. Yeah. Have absolutely. you experienced that before where I can't turn it off? Yeah. Or is I that mean, what you're asking? as a salesman, especially when you're yeah. just getting into it and you're grinding, I feel like everybody, at least that's what they teach you. You know, everybody is a customer. Right. Essentially. Right. right? You know, so have you experienced that where it was hard for you to, for one, not take your identity, like what you do for work mm -hmm. as your whole identity? Has that been a challenge for you ever? I'd probably say in the beginning of it, that's just because I was learning sales psychology. I was learning a lot and I poured a lot of my time and my life into it. Um, so it did take a lot of me. And so you I have to be I, obsessed in the beginning. Though, absolutely. Absolutely. Sure. And that, but I, I started to bring that home. And so at some point of times, um, I was like, gosh, you know, I'm not really liking this because it's traveling with me. And, and as we all said here, you know, you want to leave work at work and you want to go home and you just want to wind down. Um, and there were some times I just couldn't do that. But um, right. after you really learn to master it and you become professional at it, like you said, you're able to uh, block it off. And you're able to, once you leave and you take a step outside of work, it's no longer Daquan the salesman. It's Daquan the husband, Daquan the right. brother, you know, right. um, as you as you had mentioned. But but yeah, I mean, I think it's tough. Like you, like you said, it's, it's tough to really differ between the two. Um, but when you master it, I mean, it just becomes easy and normal. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and also I've come to realize that it's, it's a very inefficient method of changing people close to me as well. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of people that, especially people that'll get outside of what they've always known and be the, the black sheep of the family mm -hmm. or friend group and go experience something else. They'll want to come back and be like, Hey, this is what I experienced. This is what I saw. You have to do this. You have to do that. Like you right. have to experience this. You have to experience that. And that's just not a very efficient way to get people to change. People right. change through seeing and feeling something in you that inspires them to want to do something similar. Sure. So I think there's a certain level of embodiment or understanding that I have knowing that the best way for me to be able to positively influence people around me isn't through trying to consciously change them, but by becoming it that which I want them to experience and then being able to feel me through that process and be inspired to want to experience that as well. Yeah. And then at that point, it's like, okay, we'll step into my office. Right. <laughs> okay. You, yeah. you, you want to hear more about it? Let's talk, <laughs> you know, talk about are that. you sure you do? Right. Okay. <laughs> well, I guess we can talk about exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Now we talked before we got on here, we were talking a little bit about that Midwest, um, like humble. Right. And <sighs> <laughs> I want to get into that. First of all, if we ever looked up, you know, if you go look up the definition of humble, you'll never want to be humble again. Okay. It, it's like having low self-esteem 
and not valuing yourself as high as really as you should. Mm-hmm. Um, but you talk about it when you coach and living out in California when you were is when we were on our call. Um, and you, you mentioned something how <laughs> in California, a lot of times people will show that they, they are hard workers and do all these things, but they won't actually put the work in. Um, and people from the Midwest, it's quite opposite. They'll put all the work in, but have a hard time showing that. Can you talk about that? Why is that an issue? First of all, for the people that come from the Midwest, um, and how can they even start to start feeling themselves? Yeah. Well, I think in general, when you come from a colder climate, there's a certain level of humility that you have to have. Mm-hmm. When I have to go out and start my car 20 minutes before I have to leave in the morning to make sure that it's heated up to, right. to move. And I have to go out and I have to shovel my, my driveway and I have to go outside in freezing cold weather. There's not a lot of space to feel excessively cocky or confident because you're being humbled every time you walk outside. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so naturally, I think it's something that will come with being from a colder climate. Okay. Also, I mean, agriculture is the foundation of the Midwest in a lot of ways. And it's not about entertainment, but more about enduring the grueling times and doing hard labor. And that's just the nature of, of the people that live here. So right. naturally, if you're doing hard labor, you're being humbled every time you're doing it. Yeah. So there's not a lot of space to be like, oh, I'm the fucking man when I have to go do a bunch of physical labor. Right. right. So those two things, I think, are, are very big contributors to it yeah. in general. And, you know, people from the coast, they don't have to endure the cold weathers. They don't have to go outside and start their car early or worry about shoveling. Right. And a lot of it's just about if you can look a certain way, then you can get the right cloud or get the right uh, exposure. Then you can be put up into a position because there's so much opportunity to be able to have more of these white collar type things, our experiences. So everybody's shooting for those things. Mm -hmm. Different playing field. Exactly. Completely different playing field. So I think as someone from the Midwest, it's, you're incredibly powerful. I was incredibly powerful being able to go out to the coast because people are craving someone of value, right? People are desiring to, to actually be seen by someone at a deeper intimate level. And I think that's something in the Midwest that, that we have is we have a deeper level of intimacy. Mm-hmm. So I think we go deeper right. for many different reasons. Um, so people love that. They appreciate the kindness that comes from people in the Midwest, but also just the, the ability to work hard to become somebody of value. Yeah. So if we go out, which is hard for people from the Midwest to do, if we go out and expand, there's limitless opportunity uh, mm. on the coast. Damn. Yeah. I feel like here, if you're one of those people that do try to expand, a lot of times you see family and friends are the ones that can knock you back down to humility as well. When you were, you know, going through college, getting to the league and kind of transitioning through all that, was there any time where you were I don't want to say feeling sorry for yourself, but was there any times where you were kind of looking at the support around you um, and felt that they were not receiving it Mm. as as you would like them to? You know, what was interesting is I I feel like I had the opposite effect in a negative way. So I received so much support. Like I would get like 30 tickets every game for my family on both sides of the family and a lot of friends. I didn't receive much of, or if any, Oh, you think you can do that? Oh, you think you can, how you think you're so good? Yeah. I didn't receive that. I always received support. That's good. Which is kind of odd to me. But in the midst of receiving so much support, it was almost like there was a certain level of golden handcuffs that I had. Mm-hmm. So because I was receiving so much support, it became more about, well, what can I do to make sure I'm receiving this support? 
So it felt like I was constricted in a way where I felt obligated now because of so much support that I received to do something that was conducive to receiving that same level of support. And now football, naturally, coming from the family that I did, I received a lot of love. Mm -hmm. But if I would have done something outside of the norm or against the grain, I can't imagine I would have received the same amount of love or praise. Mm -hmm. So for me, regardless of if there actually was pressure or not from them to do something that would allow me to be praised by them, which I would say there wasn't. Yeah. I just felt it internally. Right. And I needed to break out of that space of feeling like I was obligated to do something that would appeal to them or appease them. Yeah. And that's where I had to, I give the example all the time. If I want to stop being a crackhead, which is being addicted to making sure I was receiving support from the people around me. I had to get out of the crack house. I got to leave the place where I'm from. Yeah. So kudos to you guys for being able to stay here and stay in that space where you're constantly being bombarded by that pressure in one way or another and to do your own thing, to start this podcast and really like expand beyond the norm of this place. Cause it's a lot harder to be in the place and do it. I took, I think an easier route. Mm -hmm. It's easier to leave and go put myself into a different environment because there's not those limiting factors right there in my back pocket. Mm -hmm. And there's a bit of exclusivity with that as well when you're going somewhere else. And uh, just the perception of people here seeing you somewhere and like, damn, like, I mean, all the cool shit you were doing, like, let's be real. I want to hang out with the elephant and do all those cool things that you're right. doing as well, right? <laughs> but, no, I, you're right in talking about that. It was something where we, we've we gotten a ton of support from a ton of people, and it's been amazing. And then there's also people, and I think they, they, they mean to support, but they'll question still, really, the people that we have on this podcast and how they do – pertain to what we talk about and how they don't. And it's just that limiting mindset, you know, where they, a lot of people from Sioux Falls that live in Sioux Falls and have never lived somewhere else fail to have any other perspective on what life is like outside of Sioux Falls, Mm -hmm. you know? And when you get out there and you're living in these bigger cities and these different communities, you're exposed to so many different cultures and foods and just everything that you don't have a choice but to feel uncomfortable at times and kind of get used to things not being the norm right right so when you went down to miami did you start traveling around before you went to miami no i couldn't i didn't have any money no so can you take us along that journey before we have hop into the next part of the episode of you um done with the chiefs going to miami from there kind of going on your journey yeah, so I moved down to Miami with the anticipation of working at a gym called Equinox. The gym, unfortunately, wasn't able to be open until two months after when they said because it was a new construction development. Okay, yeah. So I talked about the story where my buddy and I decided to go be strippers for two months yeah. to make enough cash to be able to survive that time. I think I went down to Miami with like 5000 bucks in my pocket, which doesn't get you yeah. very far mm-hmm. because I, I anticipated working right away. Right. Yeah. So we did what we could to make a couple bucks and to do something that also challenged who I believe that I was, which is also very cool for me, I think, at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And jumped in at Equinox when it opened. I worked my way up to the top as being the top producer there, but found that I wasn't finding as much fulfillment in showing people how to master their physical external body. I wanted to go mm-hmm. deeper into what it looked like at an internal level. Yeah. So first for me, you know, I'd reached, I felt like the pinnacle of, of physical success with the body that I had, but I was always gassy and bloated and had heartburn and dealt with fluctuations in energy a lot. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to figure that part out. So I got obsessed about learning with the, about the internal health side of things and what that right. looked like. So I was already like 11, 12% body fat, but I dropped like 
10, 15 pounds of inflammation, I would say, and I did lose muscle, but of inflammation based on the lifestyle changes that I made, I said, well, if I can do this for myself, then I could probably help other people that have different types of inflammatory disorders. So Mm -hmm. there was a girl that had a disease called Hashimoto's where her thyroid looked like a toad, like her neck was Mm -hmm. like a toad. It was so inflamed. And she did my protocol and her doctor told her that she didn't reduce the size of her thyroid that she'd have to get surgery and get part of it removed. And she heard oh, wow. through the grapevine that I had a program that helped with inflammatory disorders, which I didn't really know. I just knew what I knew and what worked for me. Right. And I'm like, I suppose you can, you can try it if you want. And she ended up reducing the size of her thyroid by 30% in three weeks. Oh, wow. So her doctor's like, what did you do? And she's like, well, I did this program that this dude at Equinox told me to do. <laughs> I'm crazy. like, okay, there's something to this. Yeah. So I decided to grow that and create an actual protocol surrounding it, quit my job at Equinox, invest in a coaching program in money that I didn't have. I think I, at the time, had maybe 13,000 to my name and I spent five on a coaching program and had to live in downtown Miami. And I was just starting, as you guys know, whenever you start anything new, it's it's very Mm -hmm. difficult to to get off the ground. It requires a lot more uh, working than receiving. For sure, yeah. And ended up quitting at Equinox, took the leap, and wasn't able to live in Miami. So a couple of buddies and I that had just also started a business of theirs, we moved to Colombia. So we decided okay. to live there. Rent was a lot cheaper, food was right. a lot cheaper, and there's a lot of beautiful women. First of all, going to Colombia, what was your favorite part? Was it the women? I think it was more being able to immerse myself in a different culture where probably five percent of the people spoke broken English. Mm-hmm. So being able to get lost in a culture that was something so foreign to me, being from South Dakota, really forced me to explore different parts of myself that I didn't know were there. And that honestly couldn't come out unless I was presented with the opportunity for those parts of me to be experienced. And so dating a girl from there, we dated for for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Her family was from the barrios, which are like the ghettos of Medellin, Colombia. And her family is from about two blocks away from Pablo Escobar, where his family was. Wow. So going up there, none of her family spoke English at all. I went and visited her her grandma for her birthday and her whole family's there. Nobody speaks English. I'm up here in the barrios (laughs) of Colombia. And I'm like, what's going on? This is wild. (laughs) And so just like being able to experience those type of things of uh, a taxi driver not speaking any English and intentionally trying to rip me off and having to navigate that type of situation. So it was more the extreme situations that I'd never experienced before that made me feel so uh, alive. Yeah. Was that a lot of what you were looking for? And as far as did that fulfill you, those experiences? Yeah, that's probably what my soul was looking for. You know, that we have different mental drivers that take us different places or cause us to do different things. But oftentimes the things that we mentally think we're getting into something for aren't necessarily the real reason for it. They're just the thing that gets us to move toward the thing that our soul wants. Mm -hmm. And so we can justify the decision decisions that we make all we want, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's just shooting in the dark, I think, Mm -hmm. because there's a deeper level of desire that I think our souls have to expand and evolve. And the brain's just used as a mechanism to move us in that direction. And so I've, I've come to terms with that. Yeah. A lot in that I try not to justify my inspirations too much. And I try to just allow myself being very connected to those inspirations to not have mm-hmm. to overly justify. And I think that's what we tend to do as people we will have to come up with all the different reasons why it's good to do. Yeah. But I more so like to go do the thing that I know my heart's inspired to do that I think is planted on my heart by God. And I look back and be like, holy shit, that's why I did it. 
Right. Yeah. I could, dude, if I couldn't make yeah. the, I couldn't make my journey up. I, there's no right. way I could mentally understand why I did all that I did to get me to where I am now. Yeah. Not a fucking right. chance, yeah. not a chance. So I like to look back in hindsight and understand the genius of the desire that God plants on my heart to go do different things. And more so like to sit in all of it afterward rather than try to understand it before. Yeah. Oh, that's fire. Yeah, absolutely. Fire. It is. I do have a question for you just through this entire journey of, self-fulfillment and finding your true self. What was the hardest thing? Oh man, it still is. The hardest thing is being able to sit into the tension of expanding beyond myself. Mm -hmm. Our minds want to remain in the place they're in to preserve themselves, but to get more, we have to die. We'd be willing to die. Mm -hmm. And I say this every time I have someone new come into the container with me in my coaching I said, you, ha you have to be willing to die. Every time you get on a call with me, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. Like you will die and it's going to feel like death. Yeah. Everybody wants to have the resurrection, but nobody wants to die. Right. And I think that's the most powerful part about being able to expand beyond who we've been is being willing and open to dying. And I think death is one of the things that scares the majority of people, which keeps people where they're at, paralyzes mm -hmm. people. But if you can develop a positive association with death and dying through going through these experiences that I take people through, that I take myself through that are not comfortable at all, mm -hmm. then on the other side of it, is the resurrection. I think that's right. a beautiful part. You have to be willing to put the cross on your back and go die, be willing to go die, and then trust that you will be born again. And that's what happens over and over again. Mm -hmm. Rise from the ashes. That's right. it. And when you connect death to that there, are you connecting it more to, like when I think of it is people are so scared to be uncomfortable, right? They're, they, they strive in comfort because that's mm -hmm. just, that's how they are. That's how the mind works. So but, it would be sitting in that discomfort. So mm -hmm. it would be recognizing the tension and what we do generally as people, especially with the access we have to diverting our attention away from the tension, mm -hmm. which is just getting on our phone right away or jumping to food or whatever it is. Right. Stay in it, stay in it, stay in it, stay in it. So all that tension you're experiencing of doing something different than what you've historically done is just your mind fighting to try to get back to where it was. So if you can stay in that tension though, and not identify with it mm -hmm. and not have to get out of it, but just stay in it, stay in it. Do you know what I mean by that tension? Yeah, do you guys absolutely. know what I'm talking about? Absolutely, yeah. Right. So instead of having to push out of it and do something to get away from it, go into it. Mm -hmm. And so there's experiences I have, man, where, where I'll receive coaching or I, I can do this for myself, but I'll literally crawl up in bed when I'm experiencing that moment of tension associated with expansion of my brain being like, what the fuck are we doing? This isn't who we are. Why are right, we doing yeah. this? This isn't us. Remember, yeah. we're not this. This isn't us. What's going on? And I stay in it and I mm -hmm. sit in it and I experience it. And there'll be, there'll be tears. There'll be frustration. There'll be all this different expression, but it's unreal how on the other side of allowing yourself to stick into and stay in the tension of yeah. the experience, it gets alchemized. And if you can stay in it long enough, then you can alchemize it into inspiration. And then the inspiration pushes you beyond where you've been. But most right. people don't know how to stay in it long enough to have it be alchemized into something that they can use as fuel. Mm -hmm. So a, an example I can give here is guys with jerking off. Mm -hmm. I don't jerk off. I don't really have the desire anymore because I've trained myself to not do it or want it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, there, for example, there's a guy I was work I'm working with now he had a uh, jerking off problem and he was having a hard time doing what he knew he needed to do. And so in the tension of when the moment comes of needing to go do that, I told him, I said, I want you to sit in the tension of not doing it. Okay. Well, first you have to identify the tension and not right. fully go into it. You have to identify the feeling that comes up when you feel like you need to go do to jerk off. And I say, stop right. yourself, just stop. 
and stay in the tension. Mm-hmm. Just sit in it. Don't get out of it. Don't do anything to try to remove yourself from it. Stay in it, stay in it, stay in it. And then on the other side of it will emerge a certain level of peace and inspiration. Mm. So if we could sit into the tension, we can alchemize it long enough to be able to understand what's on the other side. And so he experimented with this and found that when he would sit in it long enough, Mm -hmm. there'd be inspiration that would come for him to go make content or to go do something that was productive to what he really wanted, Mm. which is super powerful. Exactly. Because it comes from the same place. It's from that same area. Yeah. You can, you can get all esoteric with it. We want, but really your creative energy is from the same place that your sexual energy come from. Mm. So as a man, when you're releasing your seed, you're releasing your creative energy. And so you better be releasing that creative energy into a woman that you want to create or build something with. And if you're not, right. you're literally blowing away your creative energy. Wow. So that's now the association I have with it is that when I'm blowing a, nut, a load, like that better be going somewhere. Yeah. Like I value my seed so much and this might sound arrogant, but I don't give a fuck. Like I value my seed so much yeah. that whoever's going to receive that is going to be someone that is very special to me. Right. Absolutely. As it uh, should. Yeah. Right. And so I'll even go through experiences where I'm, I won't come mm-hmm. like I'll intentionally won't mm-hmm. because I understand the value of my seed. And that might sound a little crazy or wild, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's truth. Right. I like to harness my creative energy instead of having to blow it out. So if Absolutely. you can stay in the tension of not jerking off, yeah. just be in it. You can be in it long enough to alchemize it into the creative energy that allows you to step into an inspiration. That's really there to serve whatever desire you have on your heart. Wow, man, that's that's powerful. That is, it really is. It's like that voice in your head telling you to quit, quit, quit. Oh yeah, quit, just quit, stay in and it, and then you stay in it, and you mm. find that, and you get to the other. Oh, side just of you it. just sit there. It's like fuck. Mm. <laughs> it just hurts. There you go. Yeah. Well, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense though, and yeah. I think there's a lot of people that wouldn't even realize that that's happening because mm. it's just a natural response to. Correct. To you have to be above thinking. the game. You have right. to be above it. You can't be lost in it. That's one of the hardest parts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of intentionality in all of this stuff. Correct. It is. It yeah. is. Dropping gems. So one of the questions that we ask each individual on here, it's with overstepping poverty, right? Um, you joined us on our podcast. I think one big reason that we wanted to have you on um, is because right now what you're doing is you're helping a ton of people around the world overstep poverty. I looked at your some of the podcasts that you've been on, some of the people that you've coached. I went on your website and I was reading through through these and you know, each each of them they have an accolade that they shared with you. You know what I'm saying? That you gave to them um to to place back into the world. And every single one of them they're like, Oh, I worked with Kian and he was so great and he made me change this. He made me change this. I'm looking at different sales, different people who own businesses, you know, LLCs and stuff. And I'm just looking at all this and I'm like, wow, these are so many different people, but what they needed is someone to help them take that next step. You know? So I just have to ask you when you hear overstepping poverty, I guess, what is your definition of that? What does it mean to you? Yeah. To me, it's moving beyond the programming and I can go deeper into that. But our, our programming or our, how we've been taught to live based on our environmental upbringing and different significant events that have happened to us, how our minds have created themselves to be to survive to those events that we've experienced at earlier ages, it's being able to overcome that, the programming. So if we can see our programming, which are literally survival mechanisms that our brains have created to survive different experiences in life, if we can move beyond those and into what it is that we really want, then I think that's the, the 
biggest exemplification of overstepping poverty. It's going beyond our programming. Absolutely. I love that, man. It is. Change the way that we're thinking. Because a lot of times people don't even know they're thinking the things that they're thinking and why they're thinking. We don't. We don't. I always encounter new different parts of myself that I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> right and just whoa. face it head on. Right? <laughs> yeah. like, like, it really like does whoa, <laughs> I've been doing this. Like right. this is crazy. Right. Yeah. Well, always. What I I have to ask as well, you know, being on so many podcasts that you've that you have been on, which I thought was pretty impressive, by the way. Thank you. What piqued your interest on wanting to join us on Overstepping Poverty today? You guys are inspiring to me. You guys are pushing yourselves to do and move beyond your programming in regard to what you grew up with and wanting to create something bigger and better for yourselves. And anytime somebody has that inspiration, I want to support because I know what it's like to experience the tension associated with doing that. And there's a respect that I have for people that do that. And so if I can help support in any way people that are moving beyond their programming Knowing the tension that it takes to go through to become that different version of themselves, then I want to do that. And so it excites me to see you guys doing what you're doing and your year anniversary having of doing the podcast. Like, dude, how many other people in Sioux Falls are doing this to the level you guys are doing it, right? And you guys are just getting started. You're a year in. So that's fucking dope. And I want to be part of that. And I'm happy that and grateful that you guys wanted me to come on. No, we appreciate it, man. We really do. I think a lot of what you do and a lot of things you talk about are kind of the hot topics for a lot of people, but I think they're the ones that are needed to be had. So appreciate you coming on. Yes, yeah, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. So we want to move into the next part of our episode here. And uh, it's a, now for you to put us on the hot seat. Um, we've asked plenty of questions, hard mm-hmm. questions, and deep dived, whatever, into those. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want you to go ahead and uh, we're going to open the table, open the floor, and you can go ahead and ask us questions here. Excellent. What do you guys hate most about yourself? Mm. Ooh, that's a that's a tough question, and I don't think I've ever really been asked about that. Um, but it's easy for me to answer because it's something that I've been trying to work on daily, and I keep falling into to that little voice that's like, "No, quit." Mm. But um, it's my health. I think in college was a, a great time that I truly found myself, and I got into fitness, and I I loved what I was doing. I was eating right. I was working out every day, and it was tiring, you know, tiring, and it took a lot of time. And so. As we grow older, there's one thing that we always tell ourselves. We don't have enough time because of work, because of this, you know. Um, So I make the unconscious decisions to eat worse food or not go to the gym when I and I tell myself plenty of times I don't have the time to do it, but I do. I know that I do. I'm just taking the easy way out. So that's just one thing that I do. Um, I don't like much about myself, and that's me becoming more comfortable in that because I'm not a, I live in uncomfortable situations. Um, obviously with this podcast, I just started doing content creation with me even just going into sales in the Midwest. You know, I went out to rapid city and that's where a bunch of farmers are and whatnot. Um, and you just don't see a lot of people who excel in sales out there that are of color, you know, and, and especially to put yourself out there and really truly build a relationship with not just one one person or one specific, you know, group, but everyone. And that's exactly what I did, you know, but I think that's one thing I, I I'm trying to work on and, and become more, um, comfortable with myself in that. The health side of things. Yeah. yeah, it is. I would say that aspect, physical health, but one of the biggest things like internally that I just can't stand about myself is procrastination. Hmm. A lot of time. Cause I know, you know, when I'm in motion, 
there's so much stuff that gets done and there's so the the needle gets moved so much um but there's times where i do find myself in a procrastinating state and you know and i'm not even all the always understanding why you know and i think there is an underlying underlying reason why we do the things that we do and so when it comes to my procrastination i feel a lot of it has to like my big goal for 2024 is my routine just mm-hmm. because I feel like when my routine is good, I don't procrastinate as much. I'm more in motion. I'm flowing. I'm getting things done. Um, so, yeah, that that's probably what it is for me. What a great question. It yeah. Is. And I, I feel like I have some insight into both of those. Mm-hmm. They're, they're both very much things that come with, I would say, a certain level of exhaustion from other things. So naturally, being a dad, I'm sure you have certain exhaustions and doing what you're doing, moving beyond who you've been and getting really good with sales and starting the podcast and creating content. Mm. It does take a certain level of discipline and willpower to be able to do those things. Right. And so I would say, I would encourage both of you to look at your lives right now and look at what are the low hanging fruit or the things that are consuming the majority of the negative headspace that you have mm. and being able to focus on being able to solve those immediate problems. Mm. So that's always the first thing that I do with all my clients. If they want something big, we have to first focus on what's hanging in front of their face right away. That's preventing mm-hmm. them from being able to move towards it. Yeah. Right. So being able to say, well, there's this thing that I haven't addressed mm-hmm. or there's this, this person that I have this thing going on with, or I just haven't taken the time to learn about this thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's getting really honest about the low hanging fruit in your life. That's causing you the most tension and frustration and addressing it. And naturally as a byproduct, once that tension's released associated with those low hanging fruit, then naturally you can begin to just do those things that you really want to do. Mm -hmm. So instead of imposing a level of force upon yourself, getting frustrated at yourself for not doing it, instead take accountability for the reasons why you're having a difficult time in the first place doing it, which oftentimes is because there's something else that you may be avoiding Mm -hmm. that needs to get dealt with first. Right. Thank you. No, I think mine, a lot of times it does come with uh, work with me when it comes to procrastination because you have a point for sure there when it comes to feeling like it's where you want to be or something like that. You're, if you don't feel like you want to be somewhere, you're not going to have the same type of enthusiasm, same type of effort that you're putting into those things, which if you're doing things that you don't necessarily want to be doing, you're going to feel that burnout a lot quicker mm-hmm. as well. So I think there's definitely an alignment issue uh, when it comes to some of those things, which I tend to see. Uh, which is tough though. Common. It's tough because like, that's your bread and butter right now. Like that's, right. that's paying the bills, you know? Exactly. So being with the tension of knowing that mm, I know I need to move beyond this and expand beyond it while also knowing that, well, this is paying the bills for my family. Right. That's a difficult position to be in. For right. Sure. But I mean, it's a problem we're solving. Definitely. Absolutely. And finding a solution to it, I think is worth it because that is an energy drainage in your life. That's probably taking away from your ability to be able to, do your routine consistently. I mean, sure. if you're not excited about what you're doing, you're not going to be excited about the routine you're going to do before going into it. That's fact. Naturally. That's true. But it's not easy. No. If you can put the intention into it and put some time and effort, and I don't know exactly what that would be, but right. solving the low-hanging fruit, then as a byproduct, you're going to feel more inspiration to do your routine. For sure. It's I like that. That was, yes. that was a great question. What about you? I worry sometimes about... I've always had this. My like incessant desire to move beyond where I am and like this expansiveness that it just, I feel like it's just who I am. And I don't know if I'll ever settle 
right. in that way because of the way that my mind works and always looking to expand and move beyond where I am. Yeah, I'd like to think that it would, but I don't know. And and sometimes that gets me a bit. It's almost like, well, why can't I just like chill out? Yeah. So I think that's what helps me be so good at my work. I think it's, I gave this example to my dad the other day of if I'm focused on going to the NFL, then I'm going to be more motivated to figure out how to be the best college player. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I don't want to go to the NFL, then I'm probably not going to be as inspired to become the best college player. Right. So if I'm always looking to the biggest thing, because the way my mind works is an understanding that I have that capability of getting to the biggest thing, whatever that really is, it could be a, a fallacy. I, I don't really know. Right. But I can be so focused on that bigger thing that I'm more incessantly trying to understand part in between it. Mm-hmm. So I can help people navigate those spaces deeper right. because I'm looking ahead. So I have to figure these things out. It's important for me mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I'll ever be fully settled in just staying in one way of being. Right. And that's where I'm from. Yeah. Right. The Midwest is generally very just okay with where we are, mm-hmm. but that's not how my mind works. So right. I feel the same way that I, I don't know if that'll be something that yeah hurts me in the long run or not, but it's who I, I am. It's I what think I do. It naturally, it helps you. I mean, you're always striving for more. It's almost like it, it feels like nothing is ever good enough when obviously we're grateful for the things that we have in our lives. But I think it's a, I think it's a good thing up to a certain point, I guess, to always want to strive for more. I mean, at what point it will be enough for people? I mean, never, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I have pretty wild aspirations. <laughs> yeah. As like, you should. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I'll get to 35 or 40 and I'm like, oh, shit. Well, maybe I should have chilled out a bit here or there. But I guess only time will tell. And <laughs> yeah. uh, I like to think that the desires that are planted on my heart are there by God. And yeah. I want to trust that. But in the process, you know, my human element to myself that still has emotions and that still has programming yep. uh, has a hard time being able to deal with the the size of the aspirations yeah, that absolutely. I feel like God has. So I, I, I hate that I have that battle sometimes. <laughs> it's natural. I think it's though. a good battle yeah. to have, you know, in, in a different mindset. I, I really do. What do you feel is the biggest hurdle as individuals that you've had to overcome to be where you are right now? The biggest hurdle for me, and I remember it, I don't remember specifically, but it's been within the last two or three years. And it's literally having the conversation with myself that you're not in survival mode anymore. You know, like the things that you had to endure, and it's for most people, Daquan, you know, with his upbringing, going through everything that he's gone through, same thing with everybody. If you had a tough upbringing and you had these terrible traumatic experiences, there's oftentimes you're not going to have to experience a lot of those same things throughout your life after. So people often associate everything they're doing and having the same response with what they had during those times as they're growing up because they didn't have the control that they have now and all these things. Um, So at some point you have to come to terms with like, okay, I'm not living in that environment anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hard to really understand that unless you're asking yourself, like, why am I even doing the things that I'm doing? You know, why am I hanging out with the people that I'm hanging out with? Or, you know, the, the saying when they say, um, you know, the five people you keep around you is who you're most likely going to be like, if, unless you have the realization that you can be worth more than the surroundings that you've always had, then you're never going to be 
able to grow until you get into a different environment. So I think it starts with the mindset. The When I told myself I'm not in survival mode anymore, it was more of like, I'm good. Like it was a feeling of like, you're good. No matter what happens, no matter what comes your way, everything that you've ever been through, you've been able to get through it. So why wouldn't you now? You know, so. But that can also be the thing that leads you to be more complacent as well. Because if you've only trained yourself, well, been trained by your environmental upbringing to get out of survival, then Mm. you don't know, your brain doesn't know what else there is. Right. Right. So naturally when you find a place where you're like, well, I'm not in survival anymore. And your brain's like, well, what do I do with my hands? Sure. What do we do? Yeah. So then it, then it comes down to, well, what exists beyond that? Right. I think that's where the underdog mentality can be glamorized and, and glorified, but there's a life beyond the underdog. Right. For and sure. I think it, and we could maybe at a different time, go deep into that, which I think is important to do, but yeah, through your mind, you have to be able to develop a deeper understanding for what you're doing and why you're doing it and really anchor into that to be able to create that new operating system that your lineage, your family lineage hasn't been able to have because right. you're the one that's doing this. You're the one that's that's moving beyond where your family's been. And so exactly. being able to, to shift that operating system while understanding that your mind inherently doesn't know what else there is right. is important to giving yourself grace in the process. When you talk about that underdog spirit, can you talk about that just a little bit? Because when I, when I ask you that, I'm the type of person that, I mean, we're all competitive here. But I'm the type of person that I'm keep that little thing that somebody said, that's a chip on my shoulder mm. or like people not people leaving me on red. I take those things. I just take these things as like chips on my shoulder and I almost will create <laughs> sometimes you ask Quan, I feel like I have these conversations with myself. Where I'm like, I, feel, I think this person's like testing us right now. Like I think they're, <laughs> they're messing with us or they're doing these things, but I don't know. I feel like you have to have that underdog mentality if you want to push yourself further. What are your thoughts on that? You can, but I think there's an operating system that exists beyond that. Mm. So I think oftentimes what the underdog mentality can do is it can push us down a path that isn't really our path. It can mm. become more about you trying to prove something to someone instead of actually following your path. Mm. And so that's why I think it's important to be able to move beyond the underdog mentality while being able to keep the work ethic associated with it. So sure. you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. You're able to still embody what it is to work hard towards what it is that you want. But the difference is, is that you're not working hard to prove somebody wrong or to prove something to somebody, but you're working hard to commit to that gift that God has planted on your heart, that path that's Mm -hmm. most aligned to you. Right. So it's more about the place and reason, the place you're coming from and the reason where you're going. Sure. I like that. I like that. Which can be difficult. You have to know yourself. No, you do. You have to fucking know yourself. That's what everything is. And if you Mm -hmm. don't take the time to explore that place of self, you'll continue to operate as the underdog looking for more people to prove wrong while you're living a life that's not really life you want to live. Facts. Mm -hmm. That's a mindset. Yeah. That's a mindset. It is. It's an awareness. For sure. For sure. Yeah. For mine, I I guess I don't, I wouldn't say I have much like detail to it, but the hurdle I had to really jump was knowing that it's okay to live outside the norm. And I found that in college again, you know, where I would, I would do things where I just wouldn't really care what either my family thought, what society thought. It was more of something that gave me, you know, it filled my cup and whether it was unnormal or not, you know, it didn't matter to me, you know, and that's exactly like what the podcast, when I jump into anything, I give it 110%. 
So when I called Zacchaeus the night about this, the podcast and everyone has heard the story, but I had all the equipment already ordered. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm doing this no matter what. And I'll, I'll go to <laughs> it. He's a block away. I'll go to his house and I'll bring all this stuff and we'll do it. Yes. You know? Um, but you know, and I knew that I was going to put myself on, out on the internet and I was going to give my opinion that other people may not agree with. And that's living outside the norm. And you're going to take a lot of, you know, um, a lot of feedback that sometimes that you don't want to hear. You're going to have doubters. You're going to also have people who praise, you know, praise you. And you're on a, you're on a pedestal, you know, and I'm okay with that. And I'm okay Mm. with the good and the bad that comes with it for that. The only thing that I am trying to work on with that is, is I didn't just put myself on this pedestal. You know what I'm saying? Now my wife is on this pedestal. So when she leaves and she hears about it, I still have to make sure that she's okay mentally and emotionally, you know, cause that's mm. a tough thing to, to really endure, you know, that mm. your, your husband, he's all over the internet. He's given his opinion. He's doing this, you know, and then if she ever gets any backlash on it, I'm like, well, listen, we have to talk this through. I need you to be mentally capable and, and able to handle this situation mm-hmm. just like I am. And she is, you know? And so, um, but yeah, living outside the norm, man, it's, it's, it's tough for people to do because everyone wants to be, again, complacent. Everyone wants to be just float right, right, right underneath the water, you know? Um, and I'm not that way. So, right. so what, what do you think that is? What, what do you think gives you that ability to be able to not get debilitated by that? Man, I wish I could just define it to just one thing, you know, but I, I'd probably say just how I grew up. I mean, there's a lot of things like there was, there was times that I'd ride and I take a ride, um, by one of my friends to, to school or to practice, or I'd show up to their house and I'd ask them for a ride. How many people will do that? You know what I'm saying? How many people will walk down the street as a teenager and ask their friends, Hey, can I have a ride? Can I get a ride to school? Can I get a ride to practice? And that's when it truly, I know it started. And so what also that helped me with is it helped me with sales because with football, you had to sell, uh, with the city league, you had to sell these cards to people. And the only way that you could, I could be on the team is if I sold all these cards. And so I'd walk door to door. How many kids, I mean, are really going to do that? How many, Mm -hmm. how many people are going to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to really ensure that you reap the benefits. And so I think it all, it all came from that. I think my, my upbringing and, and the things that I went through though was bad, but I can tell you this, like it really helped me become the person Mm -hmm. I am today, you know, and that's, that's where it is there. Absolutely. Well, you put yourself in positions to be rejected. Absolutely. And there's a beauty in that. And you can actually synthetically manufacture those experiences. Mm -hmm. So you went through those experiences because of your circumstances. You didn't really have much of a choice, which was a gift for you to be able to move beyond who you've been. Mm -hmm. But something that I actively practice, and a lot of people don't understand this because I use social media as somewhat of a, a game outlet for myself. Whereas I think most people see social media as just true, raw, authentic expression. But mm-hmm. I've gone through different seasons where I did underwear modeling in Colombia and I would share all of it on my, on my social media because I knew the p- potential backlash that I would get from it. I knew that people were going to think a certain way yeah. about me yeah. or about the situation that I needed to endure or to experience to be able to be less affected by them. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with Facebook. I'll make Facebook posts that I know are going to trigger people that yeah. are going to bring that to me so I can experience it and be less controlled by them. Yeah. So understanding this, we can manufacture these experiences where we get put under criticism 
mm-hmm. to be able to receive that criticism. So our central nervous system can be able to adapt to it. Yeah. And then as a byproduct, which as you were through the years, the more things that you did that put yourself in position to be potentially rejected, mm-hmm. you have greater capacity to be able to do more things right. that exist beyond the opinion of the people around you. So that's right. oftentimes what I'll use in different seasons, social media for yeah. is to be able to induce certain emotional responses, to be able to receive those that negative feedback, yeah. to be able to be less controlled by that negative feedback. So I can do more things that I want to do. I love it. And I mean, I think when you say stuff like that, I was just thinking Tiger Woods and his son, his son's coming up right now. And they were just talking about how Tiger Woods talks the most shit to his son and gets in his head and does all these things. And it just reminded me of when there's nobody else on the course or on the field or anything like that, that can say something and get into your mind and throw you off your game. Mm. There's power in that when there's nothing that anybody can do or say. Mm -hmm. And not only did that shit talking actually like, not hurt me now i'm on a whole nother level Mm -hmm. right and now you you fucked up right Mm -hmm. and that's crazy that's powerful so yeah that makes sense when you when you put yourself into those positions where you get to a point and everything that people are saying about you it doesn't really matter because it's not nothing you don't already know right so that's crazy the more i put myself in the in the direction of the fire then the more free i can become from it yeah that's fact. It's like that feeling of when that feeling in your chest when you know you need to say something or you know there's an urge that you need to be doing something instead of running from it, just going directly into mm-hmm. it. Kind of like a That's the tension I was talking about. Yeah. That's a, that's a different mm-hmm. form of the tension. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Can you be in that tension? Mm. It's mm. tough. It's always it's all tough. of it's about the tension. Yep. Can you sit in the tension of the evolution that you're having, moving beyond the programming that you're in? That's it. You can do that over and over again. You're gonna be in pretty good shape. That's so crazy to like actually like think about. Think about, yeah, you know? it is. Well, I do have one last ask. We both do here, and that is five tips, tricks, and hacks um, that you would tell someone in overstepping poverty. Well, I think one of the most important things for people to move beyond where they've been is to know what they want. But in order to be able to know what you want, you first have to know what you don't. So be willing to explore mm-hmm. and get a little messy in the pursuit of uncovering your deeper desires separate from your programming. A lot of the work is deconstructing mm-hmm. who you've been first to be able to uncover what you really want. So don't be afraid to get messy with that. Mm-hmm. Make some mistakes, raise some hell, have a fun experience doing it. Yeah. The second one is do what you want to do. What do you mean by that? Do what you want to do and see what happens. Yeah. Just see what happens. Just do what you want to do and see what happens. Mm -hmm. That's number two. Number three is don't give beyond capacity. I think there's a belief that if I give, then I will receive. And sometimes you're just not good at receiving. And so as a form of not knowing how to receive, you will give because it's more comfortable. So people can get too comfortable, especially I can imagine people from the Midwest in, in giving but don't know how to receive all that's meant to come back to you because there is a law of reciprocity and that if you give a certain amount, you should receive the equal amount in return. But if you're blocking that escrow from being able to be given to you because you don't know how to receive, then you won't get all the, the riches that, that God has planned for you with the right. giving that you've done. So if you don't know how to receive, then you'll forever be in poverty. Number four is try a lot of different things. I know it's very similar to number one, but 
if you have an inclination to try something, mm-hmm. just go try it. See what happens. Yeah. Notice how you feel. There's a reason you're feeling those things. Yeah. And now you could look at that and be like, well, if I gave into everything that I feel, then I'll end up as, as a mess. And you know, to some extent that, that may be true with some people. But if you take the time to get really quiet with yourself and remove all of the influences that are being imposed upon you, mm-hmm. you get rid of the, the social media for, for a week, you get rid of any kind of content consumption, which I know is very difficult for forward thinking people and entrepreneurs. And you just write and you find that there's a desire you have in your heart to try, then that's coming from a pure place. But oftentimes if you never get quiet and eliminate the influences that are being imposed upon you, then naturally maybe the, inf- the desires you have aren't coming from a pure place. So you can understand by getting rid of the influences. And I think that leads me to number five, which is take the time to get to know yourself by exploring the many different things, by writing, by getting rid of outside influences. I think that's the number number one, and especially in today's world, we're constantly being bombarded by influences from every direction. Mm-hmm. We, we can say that it's for our better benefit because we're consuming content. We can feel like moving towards something, but oftentimes it's less about consuming more content, but more about getting more clear about what it is that, that you are experiencing within yourself that you want to move towards. So there was a time where men didn't have all the resources that we have today in regard to moving towards something, but yet somehow they're able to accomplish incredible things. Right. Well, I think for many of those men, it was being able to be connected to that deeper place within themselves that knows what to do separate from anything else. And we have to try to manufacture that because naturally we don't have the ability to be separate from influences very well in today's world. So get quiet, get away from the other influences and see what comes up. I love that, man. Yes. I love that. A lot of inner work. It's all of it. It's all about knowing the self. That's it. Understanding where we have weaknesses, understanding where we have strengths and yeah. being able to be really honest with ourselves about those things so we can move beyond where we're at and move uh, out of poverty, overstepping it. Yeah, yes, sir. Hell yeah, man. Yes, sir. Well, we appreciate you coming on to the episode. You have dropped plenty of bars um, for everyone to to hear and to really resonate with so they can become a true version of themselves and a better version of themselves. Um, And for our listeners out there, of course, if you really like this podcast, like and share it. Also, don't forget to go to kianlogi.com, right? Instagram, hit us with it. Yep. Official Kian. Official Kian. You also have Facebook. Do you have TikTok? I do, but I don't use it. You don't use it? No, you'll you'll find all the same things that I have my Instagram. I'm going to start to probably post some of the the reels that I have, but Instagram and Facebook are the best places to. Well, perfect. Reach out to Kian there. Um, Other than that, as far as overstepping poverty, again, we have overstepingpoverty.com. Please check us out on Facebook at overstepping poverty, as well as Instagram, YouTube, and we have TikTok, all overstepping poverty. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time to tune in to this episode, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Overstepping Poverty. We hope you found this week's discussion informative and thought-provoking. We know that tackling poverty is a complex issue, but by working together and understanding the root causes, we can make progress towards creating a more equitable society. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family, and don't forget to subscribe to our show. Until next time, let's take the next steps in Overstepping Poverty.